0: I was walking through my favorite uh, movie store uh, recently, otherwise known as Walmart, <laughs> and uh, do we have the picture that we're going to start with? Uh... <laughs> Griff, th- the movie, <laughs> stuck in the real world. According to Wikipedia... Griff the Invisible is a 2010 Australian romantic, (laughs) but of course, (laughs) romantic comedy. All right, Here's, here's what it says, this story is about Griff, well, so far it sounds good. A socially awkward (laughs) office worker who spends his days being bullied by his workmates. But at night, he is Griff the Invisible, a superhero who roams the streets of his neighborhood protecting the innocent. That's right. 15 dollars. I don't know if you can see that or not, but not even close. <laughs> that griff is not the genuine, not the real deal. In fact, the only part of that that is even anywhere close to reality was that subtitle stuck in the real world. Because that's what I am and that's what we are as believers in Jesus. And it's in that real world. Where you and I live out our lives as believers in Jesus, and we sometimes get it right, and we sometimes get it very, very wrong. And sometimes in the back of our minds, we have the doubt, the lingering doubt, I wonder if I'm even really a true follower of Jesus. Well, there's nothing that the Apostle John wants to do more than help us recognize genuineness, and especially to help us recognize that we are genuine. In chapter 5, verse 13 of 1 John, he simply says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. While John wants us to recognize false teaching, uh, John's main purpose in writing this letter was so that you and I could come to a more firm conviction that we really do have relationship with God. He calls it three things in this letter. He calls it... Knowing God He calls it being born of God And he calls it loving God Now before we jump into John's references to, to this uh, Let me just remind you what our theme has been uh, John is going to offer us three tests in this letter By which you and I can gain some assurance That we are genuinely saved And in relationship with God Aaron Wheeler handled the first one really well His question was, are we thinking right? Do we care about truth? Truth about ourselves and truth about Jesus. It matters what we believe. That was a theological test. Last week, area pastor Arodi Sanchez did a super job with that second test Are we loving others right? Do we care about others? And that is the social test. And what I've been assigned this morning is the moral test. How well am I living personally under the teaching of God and Jesus? It matters how we conduct our personal lives. Now John, what you have noticed throughout John is, John cares about authenticity over mere talking and teaching about God. John wants to know clearly, do I walk it as well as I talk it? In fact, he would agree with James, the Lord's brother, who in James chapter 2, verse 18, I'll paraphrase him this way. Talk all you want to about faith, but I know if you trust in God or not. I know it by whether or not you live out His teachings. That's how I know whether you trust God. So before we jump into John's references to the moral test, he's got three places where he'll deal with it. But before we jump into those, could I just take a couple of minutes here and tell you what we are not talking about? John is not suggesting that our lives will be perfect in behavior and obedience. In fact, very early in his letter, chapter 1, verse 8, he writes, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Anybody who claims he doesn't have sin or that sin doesn't impact his life, anyone who claims to be without sin, John says, is just a liar. So one thing I know for sure, John is not talking about a life of perfection. But for the one given birth into the new life, sin will not be the rule but the exception. It will be seen as a momentary fall from which we arise, confess it, and continue walking in the light of God's way in His new birth, His new life. We will live in the new life into which we were born. That's His point. You've been given new life. And if you're genuine, it finds its expression in how you live life. Uh, You know what? Doug Aldrich is my boss on days that I please him (laughs) and on days that I don't please him. Uh, I don't know where Doug is, and I intentionally didn't want to know where Doug is when I said this. He's my boss on days I please him. He's my boss on days that I don't please him. Of course, that's hypothetical. (laughs) I mean, come on. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) Doug Aldridge is my boss on the days I please him. He's boss on my days I don't please him. My desire is to carry out what he wants. If I mess up, I just simply get up and keep on trying to please my boss. If I merely decide that I could care less whether I please him ever again, the relationship just might be in jeopardy. When it comes to my relationship with my child... There's a difference in a child who simply rejects me with his life and one who occasionally disappoints me. So here's what I'm going to do, and we'll do it fairly quickly. I'm going to walk you through those passages where John refers to this moral test. His purpose is to help us gain more confidence in our relationship with God. And it's been my prayer for several days now that more confidence when we leave this room is exactly what takes place. Now, I want you to notice closely the phrasing I use use as I put the slides up. Because I suppose we could catch any one of us here at a moment when we're faulty in our thinking. But we want to be correct. We want to know. And I suppose we could catch any of us in a weak moment when we've done anything but treat others with the love and respect that we're supposed to treat them with. But we want to And morally, I suppose we could catch any of us in a moment when we've done what's displeasing to God when we have fallen into sin. But that failure, that fall does not change the fact that we belong to God and want to please Him. So John says, confess it and move on in the light. And John's interested in the tenor of our lives over the long haul. So let me take you to those places where John refers to this moral test. The first one, encouragement number one, keeping God's commands suggests that I know God. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. John's going to describe our behavior in two ways. One, keeping his commands, and two, living like Jesus. He means the same thing in this context. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we're in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How did Jesus live? Answer doing His best to please the Father. That even included when His will was not what the Father's will was in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. When we try to please God by obeying His commands, there's a little bit of a suggestion there, in fact, more than a little bit, that you and I really do know God. When our desire is to live God's commands, that's an evidence that we know God. It may not be an absolute or an only proof, I suppose someone. I suppose we could catch someone carrying out a command or two of God who didn't even know God but just sort of fell into doing it that way. But if you do know God and you know what pleases Him, and John says that knowing Him and knowing what pleases Him and doing that thing is a good way to love God. If you do something to please God, I suppose I could say about you, Wow, you really know God. I hope uh, I hope none of you who is married or in a significant relationship has ever given a gift to your beloved and had your loved one respond with these words, Do you even know me? It happened to a guy I knew one time. Long, long ago in a galaxy far away. The doing, the gift, sort of is a hint about whether you really know the person or not. To really know God does lead to a desire to please Him, and it leads as well to knowing what pleases Him. And that's how you do it, is knowing what it is to be done and then moving to do it. This is the God, after all, in whom is no sin, who cannot sin, and has never tempted another individual to sin. This is the God who created us to live in a sin-free paradise. This is the God who abhors the death that sin has brought and cared enough to warn about the consequences of sinning against Him, who immediately after the first sin promised the seed of a woman as a Savior, who quickly provided a cover for those who fell into sin, who continually sought those who strayed from Him into sin, who warned and begged and pleaded through the prophets to stop the sin and return to doing what's right. It's the one who brought into the world His appointed Lord in Christ, who allowed Him to walk to the cross and pay the penalty for sin, who raised Him to a new life as the first fruits of a people who will be resurrected into a new life where there will be no sin and who in that new heavens and new earth will walk among them and there will be no more curse and that God did it, John 3.16 says, because He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If you can make sin your way of life, do you even know God? He has a right to ask. Do you even know me? Hey, pleasing God, carrying out God's commands is a suggestion that you and I really know God. The second thing John's going to say is this. Keeping his commands suggests I'm born of God. It has something to do with paternity, It shows who your daddy is, who you belong to. In other words, I have God as Father. That makes sense, that keeping His commands would suggest I'm born of God, I belong to Him, He's my Father. Because it would be a child of God who would most favor the father, most look like his dad or her dad, and most care about what he says. Uh, it's our parents' teaching that we most early hear and live out. And by the way, it's their behavior that we most early mimic. Am I right? Say so, yeah. My daughter's family lived with us after the tornado of 2011. We were there babysitting On my daughter and son in law's anniversary in 2011, they never even got out of the house because all the storm sirens went off. So, all of us that were there at the house, my wife and and I I was there, and then my daughter's family. And we ended up in an interior bathroom at which I suddenly felt a little release of pressure underneath the door, and I heard, and I told my son in law, You just got hit. And we opened the door a crack and looked up at daylight through their roof. The windows, everything in the house was trashed and wet, debris everywhere. And they had to live with us for three months while my son-in-law rebuilt their house. Since my grandchildren were four and two at the time and living in my household, I had a lot of chances to say things like this. Pick up that candy wrapper. Let's pick up these toys. It's about time to go get your bath. Let's get your baths done so you can get to bed. I was walking down a dark hallway with my, grand, my four-year-old granddaughter one night. She said, Papa, I understand why Mama and Daddy can tell me what to do, but why do you get to tell me what to do? <laughs> it was a legitimate question. She really did want to listen to and please her mommy and her daddy. That made perfect sense to me. But why did I get to tell her what to do? Well, we had a little heart-to-heart that night. And then we watched uh, some cartoons on YouTube, and then I put her to sleep. And all, all was well, and my explanation made no sense whatsoever to her. But she at least got this. Mom and Dad, they can tell me what to do. John says... To obey God's commands is a little bit of a suggestion that you may belong to Him. You may have been born of Him. Now, it's a lengthy passage, and so let's, uh, let's read it. I want you to notice the phrases where it suggests we'll be like our Father. Chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in Him so that when He appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of Him. See what great love the Father's lavished on us that we should be called children of God and that's what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. John's point is, if you look forward to the day when He comes and in an instant the transformation will be finished, will be moved into His image, you start living like that now. You start cleaning it up now. Begin to live in it now. Verse 4. Every one who sins breaks the law. in fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Now, in this section, he is simply breaking down that great exclamation that we are the children of God, and such we are. And John knows full well that the Bible teaches two lines of humanity, that of God and that of the slanderer. And he says we want to be recognized as children of God. Uh, you know what? I have been at Ozark Christian College long enough now. Uh, I first taught part-time in the late 80s. And, and then 2001 is when I came on full-time. But I've been teaching here long enough that I am now teaching children, uh, some of my past students. There have been times when all I had was the first day's roll sheet and knew that a student of a parent was coming. And in a class of uh, 60 or so, in Old Testament history, for example, as I'm calling the roll, I can. Uh, w- w- when I call that name and the hand goes up, I go, no kidding. I spotted you and you walked through the door. I knew exactly who you were. Or you walk exactly like your daddy. You talk exactly like your mama. Your mannerisms, your looks, there is something about that. And John says, to walk as God wants us to walk, to obey His commands, is an indication that we've been born of God It's a little bit what the Bible's getting at when it uses that phrase, son of, son of. In other words, child of. For example, Barnabas was son of encouragement. He had the traits of an encourager. He looked like an encourager. It described who he was. And the children of God are those who just look a bit like their father. They favor him. There's a familiarity about it when you look at them. When Jesus was speaking about the need to be good to our enemies as well as our family and friends and those we love, he uses, my Hebrew students, we just point, if I didn't point it out, he uses the word teleos. Teleos. It's translated perfect, but it means mature, whole, grown up, uh, act like somebody. And he says in Matthew 5.48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. you be grown up like God. He doesn't discriminate with, with with those to whom He gives goodness. He's, he's good to those who are for Him. He's good to those who are against Him in this world. He rains His blessing down on both. And you be perfect as your Heavenly Father's perfect. Treat people with kindness, without discrimination, because that's the way God is. Children of God, who have a hope that one day our transformation into His image will be completed, John says, begin purifying themselves now. And nothing... There's nothing better than being a part of God's family and wearing the title, Child of God. And so John says, Start acting like it now. If I can make lifestyle my sin and never give it a second thought, God has a right to ask, Whose child are you anyway? Who in the world do you belong to? Now think about it. Following God's ways says something about how well i know him following his ways says i'm his child i look like him but in chapter 5 verse 1 and following john has one final thing he says about keeping god's commands keeping his commands suggests i love god and here he's going to combine the theological the social and the moral test all in one paragraph but listen closely here's what he writes Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's the theological. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. That's the social. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Did you catch the phrase, this is love for God, to keep His commands? John knows that to claim to love someone with no concern to please them is nonsense. John says in this passage that keeping God's commands is loving Him. That is how we love God. Love for God, keeping His commands. You know what? Jesus stressed the same thing on the night He was betrayed. In John chapter 14, He mentions it three times. In verse 15, He just gives that encouragement to His followers. If you love me, keep my commands. He just encourages them to do so. If you love me, keep my commands. Next, he uses it as an identifier. Here's what he says in verse 21. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. You can tell the people that love Jesus. They keep his commands. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. And finally, he just gives a simple statement in verse 23 and following about how naturally obedience follows from love. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. you hear how natural that is? It's almost like he's not even worried about it. Anybody who loves me will obey my commands. My Father will love them and will come to them and will make our home with them. Now catch what he says here. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. You can't make people obey God. Jesus just said, if you don't love me, there's, there's not much I can do about making you obey me. The words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Hey, students at Ozark, uh, you care about authenticity. Our Lord taught, I know whether you love me or not, is by whether you care about pleasing me. Uh, My daughter, whose home was messed up in the tornado, her name is Bethany. She's 36 years old now. It's been recorded, isn't it? (laughs) My daughter's not a child, 36 years old now. When she was a young child, however, she was a... I don't know what age she was, girls, but I can show you. My daughter was at that age where you girls get that hip action down. She was like this. about that tall she's about that tall and she had that little sassy hip action going she was a little older than a toddler i came into the house one night it was one of those evenings where it's obvious it's just been a bad night uh, the whole day has been bad sally's wanting her to do something she's not wanting to do it please no please no please no i walked into the midst of that tension and my wife saw me walk in and i hear that all going on and she said to me hey gerald Would you take the trash out? And I said, yes, ma'am, I will. (laughs) Seemed like a good way to get out of the house. It was tense. It was tense. As I'm reaching for the trash and headed to the doorway, my daughter says this, Daddy, you don't have to obey Mama. You're the boss. Now, I don't know where she gets that chauvinism. (laughs) But in a sense, I suppose she was kind of right. There was nothing External forcing me to obey my wife. Hardly anyone in here knows my wife. Uh, she's, she's, not, she's, she's not large and muscular. She's not all that athletic. I guess what I'm saying to you is I'm 60 years old now, but if it went down today, I could still take my wife. Thank you. There was nothing making me obey Sally. It is being recorded, isn't it? (coughs) Love you, babe. (laughs) My daughter, you know what my daughter missed, though, don't you? I didn't have to. But there's no one on earth that I love like I love my wife. And if the only thing she needed and wanted in that moment was for me to take care of that, I I wanted to do it for her. St. Augustine, late 4th, early 5th century, taught his followers... He was teaching about love for God and people. And he said, love and do as you please. Love and do as you please. It's come down to us as love God and do as you please. Sounds dangerous. No, it doesn't. Because when you love God, guess what pleases you? Pleasing God. Pleasing God. Knowing God. Being born of God. Loving God. It all shows up. Now, God's commands and John's focus, let's take it home this way. John's focus on God's commands are not to steal our enjoyment, sucking the joy out of life. In fact, it is so that we may live true life, everlasting life. John said in what we read, His commands aren't burdensome. They're not to weight us down. This is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know this is life. That by the way, that's the message all through Scripture. His words lead to real life. God said through Moses, I commend you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to Him, to keep His commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land. Living the Creator's way is the best way to live in creation. Followers of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 heard Jesus teach this, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. It's what he meant when he referred to the sheep who recognized his voice and refused to follow strange voices. And he said of those who follow him, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. God is the one who gives us new birth, lets us know him and love him and walk in that life. Let's walk in it. Amen.